Of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at baseballreference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. We have a guest today. Very quickly, though, Ben, uh, I've brought uh, Matt Albers' uh, status update. Do you have Ryan Webb's status update? Ryan Webb finished a game on Sunday, which gives him 78 career games finished without a save. What is the Matt Albers update? Well, Matt Albers uh, remains uh, on the shelf. However, the Astros had Raul Valdez close a game for them yesterday. And uh, Raul Valdez is, uh, I think that's his second career save. He has an ERA of nine. He is uh, not what you'd consider a closer type. His one save came uh, back in his rookie year in 2010. Uh, And so at this point, uh, you'd have to say they actually let Jerome Williams uh, start the ninth inning um, after having thrown like like nine and a half innings in the game already. So you'd have to say that that closer job is wide open. And mm-hmm. uh, it, I would say that it is more perilous than than we thought. Could be, but the lead is down to only five. Uh, one very quick thing. Do you remember how we used to discuss the, oh, yeah. yes, the, the evolution of pieing or, or post-game celebrations, walk-off yes. celebrations? Yeah. So the Orioles did a thing this weekend where Nick Markakis had a walk-off single, and he was brought a pie, which he ate from, and then the mascot was pied. Yes. So that was a, an innovation in, in celebrations. It's only a matter of time until the pieing is a flash mob. <laughs> right. Uh, or, like, it'll be like uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt will come out and start dancing, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and there will be an animated bluebird. Mm-hmm. Um all right, so our guest today is Charlie Wilmoth. Uh, Charlie is the um, founder of Bucks Dugout, the Pirates blog on SB Nation. He writes for MLB Trade Rumors, and he just wrote a book uh, called Dry Land, uh, which I read and uh, am a big fan of. Uh, it's, a, it's a very enjoyable book. Um, and so Charlie's here to talk to us about uh, what it's like to be a Pirates fan, because that's what the book is about. It's not so much about the Pirates as about um, kind of what it does psychologically to you to cheer for a team that's not going to win uh, and to do that for for 20 years. So, uh, Charlie, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I uh, There were a lot of great details in this book, um, and there were a lot of things that um, I, I loved that, that, that were sort of like uh, kind of pre-internet um, uh, bits of color that you don't necessarily always hear about when they happen, but uh, particularly in the pre, I guess this was not pre-internet, but it was pre this internet. So like Jason Kendall uh, telling a, a teammate who had just arrived, "Welcome to hell," uh, <laughs> was was a great detail. And um, the uh, the uh, 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 Michael Keaton when he had to throw out the first pitch of opening day and uh, gave an interview just before bad mouthing the owner. Uh, was a great one. So just a lot of uh, a lot of great pirates sadness um, involved. So I wanted to ask you though, because you wrote you started writing this book before the 2013 season when they were still in their uh, two decades long losing streak. And as you were writing it, they were winning, and it 
probably, I guess, became clear that your narrative was going to change slightly. Did you consider it good or bad for your narrative to have them actually uh, win a season? Some part of me was disappointed. Some part of me that likes really bleak, you know, dystopian literature was was kind of darkly hoping that this would be just a, a terribly bleak book about um, a terribly bleak time that went on forever. Uh, that seemed kind of interesting to me, but I, I knew that, you know, from the perspective of having having a story that other people would want to read, it's much better that they won last year. Is it? You uh, Because it seems to me that there's... Um... There, part of the tension in being a fan, particularly before you've ever won a World Series, is not knowing whether you're ever going to win a World Series. And, and for a person who's born, like, say, after 1986 or, or so, for a Pirates fan, maybe even a little earlier, there's this real tension of not knowing whether they will ever win before you, you die. And to some degree, I wonder, as a fan, whether it uh, sort of sucked a little bit of the uh, air out of your balloon or, or whatever the metaphor would be yeah maybe um you know maybe from the perspective of of just sinking really deeply into what all the losing meant i think i think it would have been better in, in a sense if they had, if they had lost last year i'm not saying that as a fan obviously um but I, but i think that that you know having you know I, I had a reading in pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago and and to have people show up and to have you know i read from the end of the book and people cheered and got pretty excited about it I mean that obviously wouldn't have been possible without without the winning at the end. So, you know, both as a fan and as a writer, I'm pretty grateful for it. Yeah. So um, under the reign of of Bud Selig, um, we basically had two franchises, maybe arguably three if you count the Orioles, um, that had essentially an entire generation lost. Right. I mean, children raised uh, and married uh, uh, without you know without having ever seen a winning team for the most part. And um, so I, you've lived through this do you you think that it's bad for baseball when this happens or is this just kind of uh like there has to be an underclass for there to be an overclass is this is this sort of just a natural part of being competitive and um and it's not necessarily a scar on 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 bud selig's uh tenure well i think that it seems like judging from bud selig's actions throughout the years this seems to be the system he wants i mean he seems to want there to be teams like the yankees that have um, you know, a big advantage over over teams like the Pirates. I don't. I mean, from from my perspective as a fan, it definitely doesn't seem to be good for the sport, and uh, it seems wrong on some sort of almost like a moral level for the fans in Pittsburgh to have had to put up with what they had to put up with for so many years. So, I, you know, I'm I'm biased certainly as a Pirates fan, but it, it doesn't seem very sporting, and it doesn't seem right. How much of it do you attribute to these institutional disadvantages relative to, you know, bad decision making and mistakes? It's definitely both. I mean, there obviously there have been other teams that had similar disadvantages and didn't have any problem having at least one winning season in the past 20 years. Um, And I think that, you know, fans in Pittsburgh really maybe even underestimated the degree to which the, pi- the Pirates' own bad decisions played a, a huge role in, in how long the streak went on. I mean, you know, when, when Neil Huntington took over the team in 2007, uh, fans got very frustrated with him very quickly. And, you know, it was hard to, to get people to see that, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily Neil Huntington's fault that the Pirates were losing in 2009 or something like that. It was going to take a really long time for the Pirates to dig themselves out because it, it had been so many years under Dave Littlefield where, I mean, you, you, it's hard to even put a name on what they were doing. I mean, it was just not, not even resembling anything a, a 
competitive team ought to be trying to do. Is there one move from those regimes that stands out to you? Is it like the Matt Morris move that is just the, you know, emblematic of those years? I think, yeah, that's that's a good one. I mean, the, the Matt Morris move coupled with the, the selection of Daniel Moskus in the, in the draft a month earlier, that really summed up what it was like to be a Pirates fan during that time. And the, the, the Pirates uh, picked a reliever with the fourth overall pick in the draft that year, um, which, I mean, picking a reliever with the fourth overall pick in the draft never makes sense, but especially doesn't make sense when you're a bad team with no real farm system. And then they, they uh, a month later at the trading deadline, they, they took on 13 or $14 million in salary in order to get Matt Morris, who was plainly washed up at that time. Um, you know, so whatever money they saved by not picking Matt Wieters or Jason Hayward or whatever, um, they, they just wiped it all away with this Matt Morris deal that made absolutely no sense at the time. And, and uh, you know, I, I've, I, I thought about, I was blogging then, I'd been blogging for, for about three years and, and I thought about quitting. And I, I, I know at least one other Pirates blogger, um, uh, Pat Lackey, has talked about how he did too. I mean, there just didn't seem to be any point in following the team. Um, and, you know, throughout the first, uh, throughout Littlefield's tenure was really, you had, you had to find reasons to root for the team. And, and after that happened, after the Morris deal happened, it was just like, wow, what are we doing to ourselves? And you wrote about how that works with the fans too, right? And, and what kept them coming back and the, the behavioral and psychological aspects, what, what the motivation was. So what, what conclusions did you come to about why Pirates fans remained Pirates fans? Well, it's it's really tricky. I mean, my my own inclination is is to not want to do the sort of "woe is me" thing that you'll hear fans of losing sports teams do, um, and and say, you know, we have free will. You know, we can do what we want. If we don't want to root for this stupid team, we can just stop. Um, but there are a lot of us who just don't do that, even when the team seems to be, you know, going really really badly for us and. I, I mean, I think it, it turned out from from the people I talked to about the psych- psychological aspects of it. When the pirates fail, we really feel ourselves failing too. So, in some sense, when the pirates lose, we ourselves lose. It brings us down. Um, and so, it is sort of striking that that so many. I mean, a lot of fans. Some fans did leave or maybe fade away and become less passionate fans. But a lot of fans did stick around. Do you did you reach a point where you started to? Uh, in, in essence, root against the team because you were so opposed to the moves they were making. Like, it, basically, in other words, the GM makes a move, you decide it's idiotic, and you get so invested in being, uh, in, in sort of that GM being an idiot and being wrong, that you actually don't want to see it work out. Did, that, did you ever cross that sort of line? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, it, I mean, it, sounds, it might sound ridiculous to fans of, of teams who haven't been through that. Uh, or it might sound um, a sort of sacrilegious, but it's almost something you, you have to do. You, you sort of have to root ironically because if you take all these moves at face value, you take every game at face value, it's just going to bring you down so much. I mean, I, I didn't want to spend 20 years of my life being miserable, so I continued to watch the team, but I would root sort of an ironic way or, or like you said, maybe um, try to find ways of, of rooting, like I want this outcome so that the GM learns that this move he made is wrong. I mean, if, if you, you look at, you know, for example, the Pirates signing Jeremy Burnett and Joe Randa in 2006 um, and having them block younger players and in uh, Craig Wilson and, and Freddie Sanchez, who were much more interesting. Um, you know, even if 
if those moves had worked out, if, if Burnett's had had a good season and Randit had, had a good season, that wasn't a good team. I mean, what was that team going to do? You know, win 79 games or something like that if those two players turn out really, really well? So, you know, what's the point in rooting for players like that? I mean, it's, it's just going to reinforce the GM's basic strategy of pursuing those types of players, which is a losing strategy. And so, you know, as a fan, why should you root for them? So it, it got really complicated on a sort of at-bat by at-bat level to figure out what I was rooting for to happen. I wasn't just rooting for the team to win. I was rooting for this player to get a hit and this player to make an out. And it became this really complicated thing. Is there not sort of a bonding aspect to it when you go through this much losing? I mean, I see it in New York with, with Mets fans who almost seem to take some pleasure in, you know, being fans of this team that seems to to do embarrassing things from time to time or has a lot of things go against them. And in a way, it it brings them together and they can sort of snark about it. And and maybe if you're snarking about it, it means that you still care on some level. So is there sort of a gallows humor bonding aspect to it also? There's definitely a gallows humor aspect. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess there's some, sometimes there's the bonding aspect too. But I mean, uh, Pirates fans spend a lot of that time really at each other's throats. And it goes beyond some of what's happened with the Mets or, you know, what has happened with the Cubs and that it, it was just, you know, reality sort of beating you down on a day-to-day basis for 20 years. It wasn't just like the team's not in the World Series this year or the team's had a couple straight losing seasons. It's this team has been really bad for 20 straight years and, and that that has a, a different effect. And so, you know, Pirates fans really um, were pretty argumentative during the streak. When the Pirates finally ended the streak, that was when that was when I really felt felt that bonding started to occur, and, and you had people um, saying to each other, "Hey, man, you know, we got we got through this." And and I know that when the streak ended, I personally felt glad to be alive because it had just it had just taken so long, and I I felt glad for the other people who had who had made it through this streak alive, who had made it through you know a quarter of their lives, and they were still here, and um, I I felt a bond on that level. But while the streak was going on. Yeah, maybe there was some bonding, but I think that took a backseat to certain other aspects of, of being a Pirates fan at that time. So um, I want to ask you about the Astros, because the Astros are, are also in a terrible position, as the Pirates were for a long time. And um, if the Pirates' kind of uh, recurring sin was to think that they were, or I guess to invest slightly too much in a bad team, the Astros, I guess, if they have a sin right now, it's investing not enough in just basically... Uh, you know, turning their games into something like a farce with the promise that uh, in the long run, this will keep them from losing an entire generation. Um, so do you find yourself sort of sympathetic to what they're doing? Do you think that this is a um, like a just and a merciful thing that they're doing? Uh, or do you, I guess, is there any part of you that thinks that um, having gone through this and persevered through it, uh, that it's kind of more just to just keep pushing until you finally emerge on your own? I think different Pirates, fan, different Pirates fans would have different answers to that question. I, I think for me, being a Pirates fan automatically became a lot more interesting when Neil Huntington, Neil Huntington took over and you could see what they were doing in terms of investing a lot of money in the draft and, and pursuing some of the specific strategies that the Astros are doing now. Um, I, you know, I, I think for younger fans, that's that's often the case. I mean, they, younger fans especially find losing, they're better at finding losing to be interesting, I think, mm-hmm. whereas old, older fans are maybe a little bit less patient with it um, and and aren't necessarily as interested in, in uh, you know, 
Mark Appeller or, or whoever is, is coming up through the minor leagues. Um, so it, it may be partly a generational thing. So if the, uh, if the Pirates had lost, say, a 445 games over a four-year period, but you knew all along that they were essentially tanking for the greater good, uh, say between 2003 and 2006 or something, would you have been thrilled? Do you, do you think you would have uh, been excited by this or would it been, uh, have been more depressing for you? It would have been less depressing. I mean, it, it certainly, I mean, there's there's no getting around that, like, watching a team lose 445 games over the course of four years would have been awful. Um, the Pirates never, they never really sunk to those depths. Um, but, you know, watching a 90-loss team is not, I, I I would submit that I don't think it's that much worse than than watching a 102 or 103-loss team. Um, so if I could see something interesting going on there, you know, I wouldn't want to see them losing in the meantime, but I would yeah. know how to deal with it. And, you know, I talked to to fans and there was one 21 year old fan who I interviewed for this book. He said that he would rather have the Pirates win the Organization of the Year award than win a World Series. I mean, and and that that really just blew my mind when he said that, because, you know, people would accuse certain types of Pirates fans for, of thinking that way, of being so oriented toward the future that they don't care whether the Pirates win or lose. Um, but it was striking to hear them say that. And, and I think a lot of fans during the streak, especially ones who didn't have much of a memory of the Pirates winning before, I mean, they were thinking of this in terms of, you know, things like fantasy baseball or things like uh, running a video game on franchise mode. And it seems like that's, I mean, what the Astros are doing now is very much like that. It's, it's, it's the franchise mode where you're just trying the craziest strategies and seeing if they work. Would you expect the Astros to lose any fans when, when, when they're competitive again? Uh, do you expect that they will have fans that can't thaw, I guess, that, that they just never get back because of this period? Or um, in your experience, uh, do do the guys who, sit, you know, who 20 years ago were cheering for a winner immediately come back when it's a winner? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that there will, when, whenever, you know, there's a, a group of fans that go away, some section of them will stay away. But I think that there's also new fans that will, who will come back. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard to generalize, and I think that that the level of excitement we saw for the Pirates during the wild card game last year was, you know, pretty much as high or higher than any Pittsburgh sports moment that I can think of in my lifetime. So my guess is if the Astros can come back and have sustained success after all this, uh, they're they're going to be just as well off for it. We read an excerpt from the book at Baseball Prospectus on Friday, so people should check that out. And one of the things that you said in there was that one of the reasons Pirates fans kept coming back is that they convinced themselves or they, you know, talked among each other and said that when the next winning season did finally come, it would be that much sweeter for all of the losing seasons and the payoff would be so great. The reward would be so great. So was it in retrospect, looking back at, at last year, was it every bit as, as delirious as you had hoped and expected? Yes, honestly, uh, and I, I think that anytime you don't win a World Series, you're you're always you may you you can always find reasons to look back with regret. But I think that that thinking about the wild card game and and fans going nuts when Johnny Cueto dropped the ball and then allowed a homer to Russell Martin the very next pitch and and all these fans dressed in black and just you know going nuts. Um, I mean, it was it was a, a very real experience and. Um, and to talk to fans at Pirate Fest, you know, a couple months later, and to hear them ask questions of of Neil Huntington and Frank Coonley um, at the Q and A at Pirate Fest, and and to just have the tenor of that be completely different than any 
Q&A that I had ever seen with those people in the past. Uh, it was an amazing thing. I mean, the change of mood was was really something to behold. So, yeah, I would have to say that that in the end it does pay off. So I, I, I'm, my math is going to be wrong, but I, I think if you start from scratch and have, you know, um, you know, just start going into the future, the odds that uh, any one team will win the World Series, um, oh, I guess the average team will wait like 20 years or something like that. Like basically the odds are that, that everybody listening here, the average fan will, will celebrate a World Series, you know, within 20 years, but then half of them won't. I phrase that so, so, so poorly. I got you uh, at the end, I think. <laughs> all right. The question, though, is that the Pirates are not the average team, and they will always have some institutional disadvantages. Um, and so I just wonder, do you expect to win a World Series in your lifetime? Do you feel like uh, it's likely? And does it sort of uh, fill you with existential dread, thinking that you uh, you know, might go into the great beyond without having ever <laughs> <laughs> celebrated a World Series? Um, well, I mean, I guess it sort of does, but I think it's pretty easy to travel into the great beyond or travel in, into this existential despair when you think about um, what might not happen for you in the next 50 years. I mean, I guess it's probably somewhat unlikely that the Pirates will win a World Series in the next 50 years, which is, which is interesting for me because I was born the same week the Pirates last won the World Series in 1975, or sorry, 1979. Before um, or after? The week before or the week after? Uh, the, the week it was happening, so before before the actual World Series win, a few, a three days, I believe, before they actually won the last World Series. So you're so good. I, yeah, I was technically alive for that, but um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I like to think that I, I, you know, ultimately define myself not on, not by the, the baseball team I root for, but by other things that are going on in my life, and I, I think that that's healthy for all baseball fans, and it's something that all Pirates fans had to come to terms with. Look like when when you look back at these last 20 years of your life of the Pirates not having won, how are you going to think about it? Are you going to be like, wow, I was miserable because my baseball team was bad? Or are you going to be like, no, I, I, I did a lot of interesting things and maybe the Pirates are just a peripheral part of the picture. So if the Pirates go through you know, the rest of my life without them winning a World Series, I'm okay with that. So if we can ask about the 2014 team for a moment, they are now 10-16. and 16. They're eight and a half back in the Central already after getting blanked by the Cardinals on Sunday. And before that loss, their BP playoff odds were down to 11.4%. Of course, they started out lower than maybe most people would have pegged them. Uh, so what is your feeling about this team? Are you more optimistic than those playoff odds would suggest? And if you're not, if you don't think they'll make the playoffs, what is the psychological reaction to that? If after the 20 years of waiting... You get the one appearance, and then and then it's gone again. Is that more depressing, or is there a sense that if you if you miss it this year, it's not necessarily the same as when you missed it in you know 2002? That you might actually be back sometime soon, regardless. Yeah, I mean the Pirates entered this season with a, a very highly regarded farm system, and they have Gregory Polanco about to come up and uh, and uh, starting right field for them. They have a num number of other potential impact prospects too and so I think Neil Huntington looks at it like it's not like the Pirates have a one-year window here it's not like they have to succeed in 2014 um, and I, I I try to look at it from that perspective like Andrew McCutcheon is going to be with the team for the next several years um, they have a, a, you know Garrett Cole and a whole lot of other and interesting young players who, who could make this a very good team in 2015 or 2016 or 
or whatever. But it, it was also very frustrating um, to basically have the pirates. And I, I, I don't want to use the I don't want to use the word not try, but it almost felt like they didn't really try very hard this off season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they could have had AJ Burnett back for a reasonable price, but they didn't extend him a qualifying offer, even though. To me, it seems like that that caliber of pitcher is worth one year at $14 million. Um, they, they weren't really connected to any impact free agents to speak of. And it seems like what happened is that is that, uh, you know, Huntington just didn't have the budget you would you would hope a, a winning team would have uh, to, to upgrade this offseason. And it's it's frustrating that the Pirates really didn't upgrade much i mean they they, they brought in edinson volquez who was who has pitched well but that's you know one signing for five million dollars so there was a sense of frustration for me heading into the season and then to see that the team come out of the gate the way they have and that's that's pretty frustrating too uh all right so the book is called dry land winning after 20 years at sea with the pittsburgh pirates the author is charlie wilmoth uh, you can get it at Amazon. Um, we'll also post a link on uh, on our page and, and on the Facebook page um, with uh, with a link that uh, gets a little bit more of the profit to Charlie. So if you can, use that link. Um, and Charlie, what is your Twitter account? Uh, Wilmoth C, W-I-L-M-O-T-H-C. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in the meantime, everybody go subscribe to Play Index, uh, $30 for a year subscription, with the BP code, uh, with the discount code BP, uh, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow.